Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in this marriage. I kind of like Ben. I'm one of your incredible co-hosts, Amber Wallen, and you? I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. I like you. And today, welcome to episode 27 of the Sci-Fi Sci. We sat down and watched Meteor Man, the 19... What year did it come out, Ben? 1993. Thank you, boo. The 1993 hit, starring, directed, filmed, costume, makeup, designed, everything you can think of by Robert Townsend. And we have to get into this movie because it's so fun and it's it's both amazing and horrible in so many ways, and we're very excited to discuss it. So Robert Townsend directs this, stars in it, does everything that, Amber, you're doing right now in your life. Yes, I am the Robert Townsend of our home, you know what I'm saying, and my career. So it's like I'm the talent, I am the the mic and tech lead, I, I sell the tickets, uh, I do lighting, you, I do... You write everything. I write everything, I do uh, house cleanup, dishes, dog coordinator, plant mom. So I I definitely, the, the spirit of Robert Townsend really speaks to me because some, some of us are just out here doing it all by ourselves. And then... Uh, all by ourselves. And then ridiculously flopping, oh. which is what this movie did. Some of us. Some of us. Some of us are flopping. Not referring to you at, at right, all. Right, sure. The movie. Let's, let's talk about the movie a little bit. Right. So <laughs> the budget was $20 million. It made $8 million at the box office. So considered a flop, definitely. However, I did find it quite fascinating that the films that were being made at this time, sort of the really big films, and The Meteor Man had a lot of famous characters and actors. Oh, man. A lot of actors. If you were a famous actor in the 90s, you were in Meteor Man. Uh, famous black actor, I should say. That's what I... I mean, what is this show all about? Black. Science fiction. <laughs> Blackness. Anyway, it only made $8 million at the box office, but I found it really fascinating when I looked at some other movies that flopped that year so the last action hero starting arnold schwarzenegger uh he made that movie for like 83 million and it was a complete flop as well so just be aware that it is a lower budget for a bigger budget kind of film we we have such high expectations for superhero movies Uh, now yeah very high expectations and that it would just not be acceptable for some of the special effects or even the character development within the film. Like, we expect so much more. But that's sort of a, a little bit of the background. In the summary of this, very simply, yeah, so The Meteor Man is about a substitute teacher who works and lives in this rough Washington, D.C. neighborhood run by the Golden Lords. Uh, He is a passive, non-violent character who just likes to play his upright bass. He's, you know, a musician on the side. And one day he gets struck by a meteor and gets these amazing superpowers. And then he uses those superpowers to rid his neighborhood of the vicious golden lords so amber what were some of your first impressions of this movie i know that when we first started watching the movie i immediately started writing down every person that's really well known right now in black hollywood that i saw and eventually i ran out of paper so i i i enjoy seeing who was running the game in the 90s for black hollywood so you got jennifer lewis you got james earl jones and you had you also have don Cheadle. So you have like the big actor names. And then it was also really nice to see some famous musicians. So it was like, Luther Vandross, what the hell are you doing in here? Um, Biz Marquis. So one of my favorite things about that where it kind of just felt like all hands on deck for this movie to life to be breathed into this movie. So I, I really enjoyed that to start. And I'll be honest, it was moving kind of slow for me, but it still had some like fun quirks and things from here and there. What were your first impressions of the movie? I was very surprised about how goofy superhero movie this was. Because as I was saying, I expect so much of my superhero movies now to delve into some serious topics, right? We watched WandaVision, 
which there's a level of camp and goofiness, but it deals with some pretty serious themes of post-traumatic stress and dealing with the loss of a loved one. There are some really stressful ideas and uh, not uh, not stressful, but no, yeah, I guess superhero, a lot of the superhero movies now are stressful. (laughs) They're high anxiety. And this was just so, so goofy. Uh, I, you know, there, when Meteor Man gets his superpowers, it's not just your Superman powers where, you know, you have laser vision eyes, which he does have, and x-ray vision, which he does have, and super strength, which he does have, which are all Superman powers. But mm-hmm. he also has this ability to talk to dogs specifically (laughs) like he has canine telepathy not human telepathy but canine telepathy and the dog sort of sounds like like a wally sort of robot sounds like maya angelou yeah really yes i i thought it was more robotic in the sound jefferson run jefferson (laughs) run it's like what this little, like, lassie dog would have that voice, but sure. And and you know who probably was the voice actor of that dog? Robert Townsend, if I had to go guess. Yeah. He does it all. He's a trailblazer, though. So that, yeah, that was my first impression. It was just goofy. It's interesting because when something is the first of its time, which this movie was, there hadn't been a black superhero movie before Meteor Man that we can find, right? Yes, he was planning on this being the first black superhero movie. There was... There was one black exploitation film. Uh, I think it was called The Black Superman. Literally called The Black Superman. I think it was like Abar the Black Superman, but it was shot in like a trap house. Mm. And <laughs> it was wow. directed by a white dude, but written by a black man who, uh, during the shooting of the scene, I remember reading about this, the police kept on showing up because they didn't have you know, filming rights. Permits. Uh, So when I read about this, it was saying that this is the first, like, black uh, superhero feature-length film. I I don't think that technically technically is correct because of the the movie The Black Superman, which I'll put in the comments. I watched some of it, and it literally looks like the characters in it are reading off line cards when they're mm. doing their scenes. The cue cards, yeah. yeah. They're so bad. Meteor Man, without a doubt, is the first black superhero movie written and directed by a black person. So so we'll give it that at least, right? And so I I feel like when you're the first person to do something, you feel this pressure to throw everything in the kitchen sink in there because you don't want a black audience to be like, why didn't he put this and this and this about our black experience? I can see Robert Townsend, like the gears turning of him feeling the pressure to do that because there was so much, like even right now when we're talking about the superpowers, he has x-ray vision, super strength, the ability to start earthquakes, wind, he can see through clothes, he can see through bodies, he can talk to dogs. It it just, every super, he could fly. It, it got to the point where you're like, okay, what was in this motherfucking meteor that gave you all of these abilities? And then we'll talk later about this. Spoilers, if you have not seen this. At some point, he's like used so many of those powers that then he can't use them anymore. And then he can, and it's you get a little bit lost in like, oh yeah, he can do these seven powers. So... Suffice it to say, Robert Townsend threw everything and the kitchen sink into this film. Like, starting from the superhero's powers to the neighborhood. But we'll get there. Yeah, well, yeah, let's jump into some of the themes in it. One of the the greatest themes is, I wrote it down because I recently learned this phrase from you, is there's this theme of knuck if you buck, but if you don't buck, then no knucking. Oh my god. No, No one says the second part of how you just described it. So why don't you say what you mean? What I mean is that if you're not willing to put your fists up, then keep your head down. So it's like, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Well, it's also like if you aren't, if you're going to talk trash, you have to be willing to actually fight and throw down as well. For sure. And so part of this substitute teacher's philosophy, Jefferson Reed, which he's not a real teacher, he's a substitute, which (laughs) that just itself is so tickling. Right in the beginning... 
he's telling all his kids like don't fight you know don't be violent keep your head down and walk away and it causes this one kid to this really cute kid to like get in a cast get the shit beaten out of him and the mom comes in Jennifer starts, Lewis Jennifer Lewis comes in really angry being like I try to teach my kid to stand up like in the hood if you don't stand up for yourself you're gonna get beaten up and the principal sort of stands on the side of the parent which is completely different to how bullying now would work at a school like if there's a bullying issue that happens outside of the classroom never in a million years would a teacher get blamed for that unless a teacher is inciting the bullying but if a teacher is saying no like you know walk away Go to tell a teacher everything that I eat rapidly. Is eat, what he told oh yeah, he, he tells us. Yeah, he tells us <laughs> eat rapidly. But I don't know. It just made me think a lot of like my own upbringing, which was very much don't be confrontational. And your parents said that to you. Yeah, of course. Like if if someone got upset at me, you know, apologize, walk away. If someone wait, let's let's unpack what you're saying. If someone gets upset at you, your parents told you just apologize and walk away. Yeah. But what if they unjustifiably got upset with you? Well, my mom would always say, like, you don't know who has a gun on them. And there are crazy people out here. Like, it's better I mean, to live. not wrong, but wouldn't they shoot you anyway if they were crazy? Not if they're not triggered. But some people are unjustifiably triggered. I mean, then you still need to get away from that situation. You know, conf- you know, confronting someone when they're confronting you will elevate the situation. Always. Always. Is what you were taught. Yeah. Do you believe that now? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I would much rather live to, you know, walk another day. That actually really makes a lot of sense for our relationship. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to confront you even if I believe that you're wrong, which most of the time I actually believe you are wrong. But, but I'm the not lack going... of, co- but I'm not going to shoot you. You have to know that. Y- yes. Yes, <laughs> I think so. Just so that logic doesn't work. Like, well, it... but what if I need that confrontation that I need to hear the, the honesty that day? You'd rather still just walk away well, because it... I might have a gun? No, that's ridiculous. No, I think it's more this idea of your time is precious. Like we are on this earth for a very, very short time. Mm -hmm. And no one, we have no memory before we were born and we'll have no memory when we're gone. Like This is your belief. I mean, this is fact. Do you remember before you were born? Maybe, I don't know. I don't tell you about that. Okay. Well, you know, when you die, it's it. It's over. There's nothing, you know, we know what happens to bodies when they die. They decompose and that's it. You know, the atoms inside you will break apart and that will turn into organic matter. And then, um, yeah, so like we know what happens to our bodies when we die and we'll have no consciousness. Even if you believe that there is life after death, it's not going to be any kind of life that we experience now. So that being said, I want to extend my life as long as possible. And I want to value my time as much as possible. And I think this idea of non-confrontation, which is Jefferson Reed's entire belief at the start of the movie, is a way to live a long time and not waste your time sort of getting into unnecessary fights. But I think he he learns that he can't do that with his superpowers. That's sort of his arc. Um, yeah. One of the big arcs is that now he has all this power, so should he just stand idly by? Because he sort of does want to. He doesn't really want to be thrust into this position of power and responsibility. Well, the last thing I'll ask you about that for your you personally, because, you know, this movie is letting us discuss and get to know each other better. Do you think that most or all, most to all confrontations are inevitably a waste of your time? Because uh, that's the big thing for you, time. I don't want to waste my time. I walked away from this confrontation because it was a waste of time. But what if you, but what if it wasn't? Well, he's, he's teaching his children in a very specific content, context of school. 
right, where you're non-confrontational in school because of the threat of physical violence. And what I found sort of counterintuitive is that because he didn't fight, this boy ended up getting hurt, mm-hmm. right? Like, what I believe is that if you walk away, you're less likely to get hurt. But what this mother believes, Jennifer Lewis believes, is that if you don't fight, you end up going to get more hurt. So Specifically in the this D.C. neighborhood, this D.C. rough neighborhood. Right, but I'm asking you, do you personally think that most to all confrontations are a waste of your time? Which is why you don't. Well, yeah, there's different kinds of confrontations, right? There's an individual confrontation with a stranger, which in, in, in this context is where I think, yeah, that'd be a waste of time. Then there's, you know, societal confrontations where, or political confrontations um, involving, say, you know, I'm part of the Chicago Teachers Union. I would find it valuable to confront Lightfoot and her, you know, her cronyism or her, how do, how do I describe the things that Lightfoot does? Lightfoot uses children as pawns to get what she wants politically, right? Okay. And I think that's society, a po- and now me. And then there's somewhat, you know, confrontations with people that you have on a personal relationship. And those, the confrontations don't work. When you're confronting, instead of, look, I look sort of using a restorative conversation, which is very different than confronting, saying, you oh, did this thing so it's wrong. semantics. Mm-mm. I think it's very different to say confrontation uh, has this basis in accusation Got and it. assuming that what this person did is the complete, honest to God, unlawful, wrong. That's it. Like, you know, you. I'm going to confront you because you did this Got thing it. wrong. So you see confrontation as more like aggressive. Yeah. As opposed to like, we're going to have a heated, constructive conversation. Right. Got it. Okay. That that actually clears up a lot for me. Well, did you get, did you get into fights in school? Like, did you? Did no. people try to fight you in school, middle school? Yes, I mean, I definitely had like bullies here and there, and there were times where I was afraid to stand up for myself for fear of getting in trouble, you know, at school. And then I would go home. My dad would be like, "If someone gets in your shit, like you need to stand up for yourself. We'll we will deal with." the consequences but I I just vividly remember him telling me like I know you so well you follow rules like and not that I'm his perfect little angel but like if somebody's just in your face and just preying on you because you're a nice kid like tell them what it is so I didn't get into physical fights but I would definitely be like hey I was that's my lunch like no you you know it would be something like that that's very intriguing for me because Jefferson Reed is not a rule follower. He is not a rule follower, but he believes in non-confrontation. I think we're sort of led to believe that he's a passive, almost weak yes. man. Yes, they paint him to be <laughs> very he, weak. And now his weak his weak defenses are actually detrimental to himself and to kids. Yeah, but also at the same time his decision to be a kind person, to be a kind teacher, at one point addresses one of the children from the Golden Lord. So another theme in this is children are used as pawns by the Golden Lords. So can you just summarize who the Golden Lords are? Because I think (laughs) you you. might be able to fit in quite nicely with them. I will. So the Golden Lords is um, a street gang that all have blonde, like bleach blonde hair. So I would be a golden lord if you have seen any recent picture of me. And they recruit little kids and then they have middle-aged, you know, teenagers and then they have adults in the group. So it's very, and it's very organized, like like most gangs, but they, they all dress alike and then they all have the same hairstyle. So there's something so... <laughs> I don't want to say Nation of Islam, but I I vividly know when I see someone who is in that religious group, like from a child to an adult to, you know, 
from a child to an adult, I, I, there are some very clear physical markers from like the bow tie to the suit to the haircut. And so there was something like that gave that element to this group. I know there are plenty of other organizations that do that, but even like street gangs, there might be like one color that they all wear, but they all wear it differently. So these just looks like, you know, many kids and many men. And the, the ringleader was played by Don Cheadle and his name was Goldilocks from the Golden Lords, which we love. Yeah, Don Cheadle is not the leader. Okay, well, he's like second um, in command. Yeah, he's like in second second in, in command. Um, you are splitting hairs with me today. I'm, well, yeah, I just didn't want anybody to say that, you know, we're wrong. But uh, the you don't want confrontation. I don't want that. That is correct. Got I it. don't want confrontation. Yeah, well, he's like second in command. I mean, he's the person that is actually carrying the guns around. I feel like he was also the one who was most in control most of the movie. Like when we were first introduced to the uh, the Golden Lords, it was Don Cheadle and two other guys. Mm-hmm. We don't meet this other figure until like the final fight at the end. But like. I, his name forgets me because Goldilocks was like the main person. Yeah. Out. And also, you know, no shade, but Don Cheadle is the more famous actor that we know now. So. And Goldilocks is a great villain name. I mean, like, oh, it's genius. Because Goldilocks is a motherfucking villain. She broke into somebody's house, started eating their food, sleeping in their bed, and for some reason, the bears are the ones to blame. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about the kids because they're so cute. Like, the. They got actual children to play, mm-hmm. like, the child um, golden baby lords, lords. But they're called baby lords. So there's baby lords. And then there's the teenagers who are, like, preteens. or like, oh, yeah, beat them up. And then you do have adults. So they, you do see this entire arc of that. But one thing that I found really um, fascinating was uh, the baby lords sort of run drugs with their lunch boxes so they have these like cute little lunch boxes mm. and i thought cute. i thought that was very accurate and it's played for laughs because they sort of do look like um actually i was thinking they sort of dress them up like black panthers mm. i was like ooh, okay uh i just found that very yeah leather and black yeah well it's also it just makes sense to for a, a, a gang to wear a dark color. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're running the streets at night, nobody's going to walk around in, like, a lavender purple. Like, that just what? makes no sense. It, but then to dye your hair bleach blonde, that that seemed a little bit like a misstep. I think you I'm think sorry? Be... Is it a misstep to dye your hair well, bleach Well, if you're trying to sell, you know, drugs or run guns... Under in a cover... sci-fi world, the bleach blonde hair makes sense. It was Maybe. pretty fantastic, actually. So the other thing is Jefferson Reed still lives at home with his parents Mm. or like lives in the same building with them. And his dad is, his dad is sort of the complete opposite of him and is very confrontational. And for no reason at one point, like sees these golden Lords early in the movie, sort of, you know, selling um, crack cocaine in those little, uh, crystal vials vials and he like knocks it out of their hand and steps on it i'm like does this man want to die <laughs> uh, he said he thinks he's cleaning up the streets baby yeah but that sort of gets into this whole theme of neighborhood autonomy and at this time when i read a lot of the rhetoric that was coming out of the uh, 90s like black uh, writers and black pow- powerful black figures is that they really were saying like we need to take responsibility of our neighborhood we're the ones that should be pol- policing it we should be the ones you know building uh, the community gardens and building up the infrastructure of our neighborhoods and that was sort of the the idea and that movie taps into that but i i just keep on thinking like how ridiculous that is like that is not how that black people need to keep our own neighborhoods i don't think it's that, that ridiculous i think it's ridiculous to expect a neighborhood to build up itself on its own like for example think about this right let's talk about lincoln park all right you go through lincoln park did the lincoln park community call up starbucks call up these other um, companies and say hey come move into our neighborhood 
and build this here? Did they call up nice private schools, that nice independent school right next to the Lincoln Park Zoo, and say, hey, come build your school here? No, that did not happen. These businesses made those decisions without you know, the influence of the larger community. The community is not paying Starbucks to build and stay there. And they're not paying these nicer grocery stores. And they're not paying that nice sushi restaurant yeah, to but move the, it in there. The demographics of the community do drive those things to happen, though. The demographics. But it's not like this personal responsibility. And at this time, it was understood that you know, black people should be cleaning up their own neighborhoods. It's in my mind, like, no, the city of Chicago should be cleaning up the neighborhood. Yeah. Businesses should be the ones building and starting a Starbucks. No community could pool enough money together to start a own star. I don't know. I hear what you're saying. I just think that, I think that black communities would and have thrived in that way. We we have to know that, like, you know, with, like, Black Wall Street and Tulsa, like, these communities, and, and even, like, you know, 50s, 60s, South Side Chicago was its own, like, thriving entity and infrastructure, but it is then the, the larger government that comes in and causes chaos in those communities, that's why they're suffering a, a lot of the time. I bet if those Black communities were left the fuck alone and did depend on each other for food and for banks and all of that, they would thrive. So, and I think black people are charged with the responsibility to do the neighborhood watch and everything like that now is because like, well, we don't want to call the cops because somebody might fucking die. So it, I just don't think it's ridiculous to say, I think culturally speaking, it actually does make a lot of sense. And you've said that in the past too, like if we think about indigenous communities, they thrive on their own and they have like, their people who have positions that align with their beliefs, like a shaman or something, and and everybody respects that person. And so I don't know. I just I just think it's it's a little uninformed to say it's ridiculous for communities well, to keep themselves. Well, now it is. From what we understand from the '90s and what was going on in the '90s, I'm talking specifically when Jefferson Reed's father confronts the drug lord. The gold, you know, the gold, the golden lord. Because now we understand, oh, the reason that these golden lords are dealing drugs and the reason why the neighborhood is not cleaned up has nothing to do with mm -hmm. the black residents gotcha. there. So you're saying if that was isolated, it would not be ridiculous? I don't think it would be okay. because it's not isolated. Right. I mean, even Black Wall Street, Black Wall Street thrived past tense, but it did not continue to thrive right and why didn't it continue to thrive because it was d destroyed yeah, it was and demolished massacre. yeah so even bronzeville right like bronzeville's struggles come it's completely different compared to the south loop and the infrastructure that's being provided there like yeah they're building up at mariano's and yeah they're trying to do and revitalize certain parts of you know right off the green line there but again um that can't happen purely by the community. I got you. Right? And so it's like sort of that's the state, the current yeah. state. Well, I thought we were talking about this like fictionalized movie, but I see what well, you're saying because it is based. But even then, right? Because at one point they're having this big community meeting and they're like, we're going to create a neighborhood watch. And, you know, there's big sections of the film that takes place in these community meetings. And at one point, um, sort of a, a funny side note is that at, there's no secret identity for the meteor man. Every once he gets his, <laughs> we powers, have to have a whole sidebar about that. Like, but but I'm with, I'm with you. Keep going. So they're like, okay, meteor man, you know you're gonna protect us now. Like you're our our superhero. And I just think that even if the meteor man were to get rid of all the golden lords and turn all the baby lords into like good upright citizens who read W. E. B. Du Bois, like. Even then, that wouldn't work because gotcha. you're still not dealing with the infrastructure. I agree with you there. Um, and, and now we know that. We know that now. Yes. Now let's get back to what you just said about Meteor Band's identity. What the fuck? <laughs> like, sorry. That costume was that, awesome, though. Oh, he had an awesome costume, and then we read this great article. We'll put it in the description box about 
this guy who interviewed Robert Townsend and was like, do you still have this outfit? And he's like, I can't fit it anymore. It's in the back of my closet, but I can still fit the boots. Anyway, Robert Townsend is, I'm literally trying to think right now of another superhero that does this, but he does not hide his identity. Jefferson Reed, Meteor Man, does not hide his identity in the movie. And it's, and, and that's how it starts. Whereas like every other superhero movie that we've ever seen, when they have their big origin story, the one thing they're trying to do is like, I need a mask. Like I'm, I'm vividly thinking about when Spider-Man first fought in that wrestling arena to start making money. And so it was really cool to see oh, what, what would happen if you didn't hide your identity? Because you are this peacekeeper and savior for the community and they do want to see your face and they do want to know you. And, you know, we're watching Black Lightning right now to prepare for the next season, which it's like 100% hide your identity no matter what. They can't know who you are. So it was really nice to like, watch these two bodies of work side by side with Meteor Man being like, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm not wearing a mask. Like, they gonna see this smile, which is just so Robert Townsend, I think. <laughs> also, the fact that you really cannot keep a secret in, in this type of community. Like, even at the beginning of the movie, Robert Townsend um, walks in and he sees, you know, one of our, one of the great characters, Ernest, who's played by the great James Earl Jones. And everyone, yeah. everyone has their door open in this, uh, in, in this, you know, I guess, um, community, this, you know, it's like a three story walk up, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone just keeps their door open, you know, it's a stoop life, you know, and, uh, there's no secrets. And I love it. I wish neighbor, I wish communities were like that now. Our last building was sort of like, you know, you would see the same people and say, hey, but it would never be like we could just have the door open. Yeah, it, it's a very different world now. But um, yeah, I think that's just also it fits into Robert Townsend's character. But I think it also fits into this D.C. neighborhood that he's trying to create as well. It's interesting that this neighborhood has so much danger and crime, but everybody still has their door open. Yeah, it's sort of this idea, I think, again, dealing with the 90s, because they mention it in the film that we need to kick out these drug lords as if the drug lords weren't part of the community, as if the drug lords aren't people, young men who couldn't find jobs, whose moms live in the community, as if the drug lords did not go to the schools in the community. It's, it was this idea that these drug lords are coming into our neighborhood and, and they're invading separate from us. and they're separate from us. Um, and I think it's, of course, way more complicated. But again, 2020 hindsight. I do want to talk a little bit about this community garden where Robert Jefferson Reed is struggling. <laughs> Robert Jefferson Reed? Yeah, III. Robert Townsend, Jefferson Reed, Pierce the third. Uh, I think he's struggling. And this is what I think the movie does well, is he really struggles with embracing the meteor man identity. You know, and that's a big arc of, um, of uh, superhero films is that you know how how do I use my pair my powers for good to what extent do I use them for good and he's like I really don't want this responsibility and he doesn't like going around and and fighting and so one 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 of the ways that he decides not to fight is he uses his powers to clear out all the trucks in this like abandoned lot and he uses his powers to like run quickly up and down and plant this like beautiful garden and then he uses this like electrical power to make a pumpkin the size of a building and it's really really cute and it i wish is. they delved more into that goofiness like he uses his his laser vision to like fry eggs and stuff i was like oh man like i wish they leaned more into that so i don't know what because you, you were like all into the community garden like well it was just so cute i mean it was it was just such a kind gesture and such him because that took him from being like very weak and dormant and passive to like you really want to do some good in the world there was actually one scene where robert townsend's i'm, I'm not sure if you said this yet or not but his car was broken into and somebody stole his upright base and the minute that he came outside saw that there was glass shattered everywhere he took a deep sigh, saw some trash on the ground on his sidewalk, and just picked the trash up and recycled it, like, angrily. And so, you started seeing just a little bit of that, like, oh, well, you're not just, like, weak and non-confrontational. You're actually 
really just wanting to do well for the environment and and be a good person and leave some sort of legacy behind. And I think that community garden really showed that he's like, I want to use my powers to breathe life and development into my community, which I loved. I like how the film toys with us because we almost at one point mistake Robert Townsend's kindness for weakness. Yes. And it's not. And he has a really solid relationship with his mom. And his mom makes his costume and he tries on all these like really goofy costumes. Like a fashion montage. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's great. At one point I think he has like a coleander on his head and like all I think of all the things that you could go into your kitchen to make as a superhero, which I, I would do all the time. I would steal my mom's kitchen knives or like, like a cheese grater or something. Yeah, or like use a, a a pot to put on my head as like a metal, you know, hat or something. It was great. And I loved that moment was just like so black and exciting. Like if I was a mom and my son had gotten hit by a meteor and he became a superpower, we'd be like, oh my God, now we, now you need a little, a bat signal and let's get you a little phone so that people can call you and then let's get you a costume. So that, that was really fun to see his family really rally around him. And then, you know, then, and then eventually the neighborhood as well. They're like, you got to come to these community meetings and we're going to vote and fight and make change. And it was just a feel good. It Some was, of those scenes lingered, I'll be honest. It was just like, okay, what's the actual plot? Like, who are the villains? Um, you know, we felt that at times. We were like, what? how long has it been running at this point? Uh, it, it's a long movie for an hour and a half, which I think that's how long it is. I feel... It's, <laughs> it's only an hour and a half? Yeah, it's... Wow. Yeah, it's a long movie for an hour and a half. There is this great line where his dad is getting so excited of the possibility of what you know, his son can do, Jefferson can do. And he says, you know, maybe you could go international and deal with South Africa. And you're like, oh yeah, apartheid in South Africa was a thing in, at this time. That was a nice time capsule moment there. I do want to talk about this whole idea of gang unity. There's a montage of the meter man fully accepting his superpowers and he goes in and uses his hurricane blowing blowing power i don't know hurricane wind power to blow all this like cocaine and destroy all this <laughs> cocaine uh and he gets all the drug dealers super high it's a great scene and he calls them drug people it just breaks into this crack house it's interesting because in this universe there are the the golden lords and there's also the bloods and the crips and he's just all about gang unity and strength which worked off really well yeah so the the gang unity comes between the crips and the bloods mm -hmm. he unites them using his superpowers but then he sort of shows that oh you know we should also have tough on crime policies as well and so he beats up all the golden lords so the movie sort of falls into like yes and type of thing yeah, because there was a scene where there was about to be a showdown between, like, all these police officers and the Bloods and the Crips. And he, like, stands in the middle of the street, you know, one of those middle of the street at night scenes. And they're all about to shoot Meteor Man. And he's like, hold your weapons. Why don't we come together and have a conversation or something that he said there to just, like, clean up the streets. Yeah. There were hella villains in this movie. It's like, is it the Bloods? Is it the Crips? Is it the Cops? Is it the Golden Lords? Like I said, everything everything went into the Meteor Man soup. It was also weird watching that now because from what I understand in the 90s, there were these larger like gang organizations. And now, at least in Chicago, there's a different gang on different streets, mm -hmm. right? There, different blocks. There's yeah. not like a unity. And I remember reading a fair bit about this at one point, but this idea of bringing gangs together and unifying them and working with the police, that was something that was sort of teased with a little bit in the 90s and then eventually just discarded. Like, we're just going to arrest everybody and, you know, put them in prison for life and sort of fracture any sort of gang hierarchy. And now it's just really kids you know it's imagine just baby lords and the teenage lords running everything and that was sort of weird like remember remembering that oh yeah at one point this was seriously considered as a way of dealing with gang violence is like having gang members sit down and talk with each other and now it's sort of like ah arrest them all put them in prison 
Um, Do you think that's a conversation that should be revisited? Like cops and gangs working together or do you think it's just like that's so far gone that it's probably never going to happen you know i i there's a organization or sort of um justice organization it's called uh, i think it's called circles and ciphers and Mm -hmm. uh they're a chicago-based organization and they sat down did a whole conversation about keeping specifically young men of color out of gangs and they do that through alternative means like, you know, hanging out and rapping and doing things, doing events together, um, helping, you know, setting them up with jobs and doing restorative justice conversations. And the guy who one of the leaders of this says, yeah, we just don't talk to cops. We never talk to cops. It's so fractured. This was a, or they sort of did a conversation at Loyola and uh, there was a cop on the panel and the guy was like, yeah, we just don't talk to cops. It's no good. The, the, the community is completely fractured. And this was sort of right around um, where John Berg- Burgess, the, the notorious Midnight Crew leader, he was a man, uh, I guess, from, I think, maybe from the 70s to the 90s, who just round up uh, young black men, just torture them. And Chicago ended up paying reparations to a lot of these families, a lot of these people, where the Chicago Police Department Union has sort of stand John Burgess this whole time. And John Burgess never faced any consequence. He so died. This is a white he guy. died. Yeah, he died in Florida. Um, so this is a white guy who would round up black kids and kill yeah, them. Yeah, not kill them, torture them. Torture them to get you know information. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, I'll, I'll put and I'll put the link. Families of those children were paid reparations, and the and the individuals wow. as well. This happened 2015, maybe five years ago. It was fairly recent. I remember sitting on this panel, and him, uh, you know, the people saying, "Yeah, we we don't talk to cops. Yeah, it's just not an option anymore." And it's weird watching this that at some point, you know, this is, uh, you know during Michael Jackson's time where he was singing about world unity, right? Like this is mm-hmm. the 90s of that time and where we could actually come together as a as a country. Yeah, the, the heal the world. The heal the world type of thing. And yeah, it's it, that doesn't happen. I think what can happen is maybe, you know, restorative conversations between gang members, younger kids, you know, a lot of these gang members, middle school, high school, they could come together. They can sort of, be brought to an understanding, hey, like, you can, you know, you can work with people, you don't have to, you know, have a gun and deal drugs or whatever. I think that's a possibility, but to... But not, like, police to gang. No, absolutely not. Yeah, for sure, I agree. Random side question. Who do you think is our meteor man of today, even if it's a woman or someone who's non-binary like someone having the conversations and trying to like bridge those gaps yeah i think there's this idea that america is obsessed with that an individual can sort of bring about this change and we were talking about this that it's so silly in my mind um the amount of individual responsibility that we think humans should have like (laughs) there's this viral clip of uh, these um, libertarians talking about like what should be the you want to you want to share that yes it was on tiktok and uh the question was like what's the most insane political party moment that you've seen and then so somebody just responded to that and it was this like these three libertarians who were being asked like do you think someone should take a driver's test or take some sort of government test in order to get a driver's license? And the first man was like, hell no. And the second man was like, what's next? You need a license to put toast in your own toaster? And then the third guy's like, well, I kind of think that you should have some sort of competency when it comes to those driving on the road with others. And and the whole crowd just like booed this guy, Yeah, (laughs) which is crazy because you're like, wait, what? Well, yeah, and I think America celebrates the individual right as, like, the greatest thing. Like, an individual can have all this power and can bring unity. And that is not the question we should be asking ourselves at all. Like, I think it's a fine question. Like, what is the meteor man who can bring unity and 
you know, really bring America together. That's that's a very an American start that conversation. I don't think it, it's not an individual. Like, I know, but you don't think one person sort of has the the finesse to get that conversation started. I don't and think bring so. those parties together. I don't think so. Uh, I think you have to have groups of people who write up you know, group kind of contracts that deal with this. It's not an individual that can unite and bring people together. I guess, like, specifically, like, I don't know what do you mean by, like, what is a meter? Like, bring what kind of unity? Are you talking about, like, unity between Republicans and Democrats? Are you talking about healing, you know, you know, distrust between, like, a single individual healing distrust between Black communities and the police departments that police them? Like, what are you talking about? Or all those things. I'm talking about what Meteor Man did. So it's like the authorities with the community. In Chicago? We got Black Jesus. I think he could do it. We got Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton can do any fucking thing. We got Beyonce, who is, you know, really stepped into her blackness in the last decade. So she has the power. Something that I've been thinking a lot about is that Beyonce is not a single individual, right? Of course not. And when Dolly Parton is not a single individual, they have an entire team behind yes. them. But it's very, it's very interesting for me when I think of how people celebrate individuals in this country. I, I don't know. You I don't are know. triggered by this question. You, you can't just have a little fun and say like, this is the person I would listen to. It would be Toni Morrison for me if she was still alive. Yeah, but Toni Morrison, white people would not let Toni Morrison unite them. And bring them together. You know, like you, yeah. you have to find somebody. First of all, it couldn't be a, a person of color to bring the unity. Like if you're talking about in the, in, an individual, no white person is going to listen to a black leader. They listen to Beyonce. I don't think so. Not really anymore. Not since she did the whole Black Panther costume at the Super Bowl. People were infuriated by that. Mm. Yeah, sorry. Right. I she, was like, she made what? A, oh, she made a Like choice. the actual historical political Black Panthers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like. You, you need she dress as Chadwick Boseman at the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, yeah, you need some. Yeah, it would have to be a white person. Yeah, I, sadly, I, yeah. I I don't think they don't listen. Uh, Why y'all don't listen, Ben? All right, let's let's go through some like tertiary characters that yeah, we really haven't because literally we haven't all talked about. Them. All right, so Sinbad. Uh, Sinbad makes a guest appearance. Who very briefly, Jefferson. Reed has like a love interest, but it turns out she is dating Sinbad, and the love interest storyline is immediately dispelled, which is great. There's no we love interest. We don't need a love story. I re- that was so refreshing. Well, I was hoping maybe the meter man falls in love with Sinbad, aka Malik, and that would be the love story. Sinbad was fucking hilarious. Like he basically played this like hotep guy, so he had on his like that's cheeky and his hat, and he was like over courting this woman who is now his girlfriend and he was like you know hello my queen do you need anything whatever whatever and then he whispers over to meteor man like you know i just i just discovered my blackness i'm I, this is my first black girl i'm really getting in touch with my roots blah 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 like it was so funny i mean sinbad if sinbad's in something just like go pee before the movie because that was hilarious he wasn't a huge part of the movie but i'm glad he was in there and then also we have, despite Meteor Man coming out as Jefferson uh, Reed, people don't recognize that he's Jefferson <laughs> Reed. Like the white anchors or like the white people don't know who yes. Meteor Man is, which is Accurate. sort of funny. I think he's playing with like all black people look alike. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this man named Clarence, played by the legendary John Witherspoon. Yeah. Gets on TV is like, I'm, I'm Meter Man. I'm Meter Man. I'm Meter Man. That was me. I can't even do a good John Witherspoon, but I, I was closer than you. And I was like, oh, this movie has these moments that are just genius because it taps into like this idea that black people look all alike. It allows John, um, you know, John Witherspoon to just be John Witherspoon. Yeah. And um, you can't write a script for that man. You have to pay, say like, John, will you please be a part of this project? This is the essence of what your character is gonna do. You gotta improv all of it. You, you, I, I would be hard pressed to find if John Witherspoon ever actually memorized lines. It was because it was great. what he has to say is far more comedic, far more 
you know, ingenious than anything anybody could write. Agreed. We love you, John. And then finally, we have this old nurse who is taking care of the meteor man when he first gets struck by the meteor, which the special effects for that was really, like, awesome. It they looks were like really the, good. It looks like the, the thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, like John the, Carpenter vibes. It was great. You, but, were, you were impressed. Uh, Lawanda Page is this great comedian, and she shows up as this old nurse who ends up, like, hitting on... Who ends up hitting on uh, Jefferson Reed, which that whole scene, though, it goes really nicely into our size. Whenever I read like a classic science fiction book, I'm just so disappointed, like how women are treated. And I'm like, oh yeah, workplace harassment training is still a fairly new concept. Mm -hmm. The Me Too movement is still a new movement. So, for example, one of the sides I have is that uh, Jefferson Reed, when he first realizes he has x-ray vision, he uses it to like look under women's clothes. And he tries to call in like this nurse who's taking care of him so he can look underneath his her clothes. Instead, he, you know, she, instead he gets LaWanda Page who is hilarious. Also an icon. But I, I immediately saw Jefferson Reed as a complete sleaze, a complete sleaze. And he does it again where he first learns how to uh, fly and he peers into a woman getting changed and he sort of smiles like a fucking creep. And I'm like, oh, this was just behavior that was accepted back yeah. then. But I immediately was turned off by the whole thing. That was one of my sides. I was immediately turned off just because I know it's like classic. Like on the scale from... You know, one to like very creepy, very strange. I mean, you know, Bill Cosby was in this movie and every scene we were just like, oh God, th these parts are even he would do something small and you're just like, ah, but you're a monster. So there's that. So, you know, on a one to 10 scale, I didn't find it incredibly offensive because it's just like it's the 90s. But I totally understand what you're saying. But there was also one a funny part. So Eddie Griffin is his best friend in the movie and the, that really pretty nurse comes in and checks on Meteor Man because he's been, you know, attacked by this meteor and now he's in the hospital and all these bandages. Eddie Griffin's like, you okay, man? You know, I'm just here to help. And then he leans over to the nurse. He was like, what time do you get off? And it was just so funny. Like, I know, I know it's like, but he's hitting on this nurse and she's just trying to do her job. But like, we know why that nurse was cast in that role. Also, like Beverly Johnson was one of the nurses. She's like, an insanely popular model. She was like one of the first black women on the cover of Vogue, I want to say. I, I'm not... I think she was the nurse that he was trying to look no, under. No, no it was, was different. Beverly yeah. Johnson was another doctor. So this whole, I mean, all of the budget went to casting. Some other size I had was uh, the idea of the gangs having their hair blonde. Why is it a size? Because... It was just made it so unbelievable. That leads like a really high profile. Like if you are trying to like run guns or trying to run drugs, like you're not even going to have an afro. Like you're going to, everything is going to have the same haircut. I don't know, but I can suspend disbelief. Meteor Man got hit by a meteor and can fly, speak to dogs, do telepathy, look through bitches' clothes. I, I can suspend disbelief and, and say like, oh... Uh, a little mini gang that they've created in this universe all have blonde hair. Sure. And it made them very like, oh, there goes a baby lord. Yeah. Whereas I, I don't think I would have recognized them without those traits. Okay. But you just didn't like the hair. You yeah. really hate my blonde hair, don't you? No, you're. I wish you would have told me. Your blonde hair. I'm is not gonna great. change it. Your blonde hair is great. Just don't become a golden lord wearing like black leather and shooting up people who who sucked up a meteor. Another side I had is. The way the powers work are a little confusing. There's no explanation None. why the Meteor Man loses his power. Nope. Because the Meteor, like, sucks inside of him. Think of, like, the inverse of the thing when it, like... Or Alien, if you've ever seen Alien, when the alien pops out. Think of the inverse of Alien, where the alien baby goes inside. So that's what is happening with the Meteor. And he loses his power, but he can gain it by touching a different piece of Meteor, but he only gets it for a little bit. And that is never, ever explained. So, yeah. Or even like the meteor shower was very random. Yeah. <laughs> or did that happen in other parts of the country? Or did it, was there a meteor shower that only hit Washington, D.C.? We don't know. 
Well, the movie started with this explosion in space that sent the meteor to Earth. And I think we're sort of led to believe that there's maybe an alien species and in future films because a big, uh, the other side I had was Robert Townsend said he was hoping this to be like a billion dollar franchise. Like yes, the- but it did. I To Robert Townsend's credit, because again, I have a special place in my heart for Robert Townsend because I too am a Robert Townsend thinking like, this project is amazing. You know, I'll, I'll send an audition and be like, this is my best work. There's no way I'm not going to get this role and then I don't get it. But I will say that he is correct that this movie did eventually reap millions because of like that, like with that article interview that we read about him, how there have been so many like creative sons of Meteor Man, Black Lightning, Black Panther, like none of those would have happened without us looking at Meteor Man and piecing apart like what worked, what did it, now we can breathe life into other black superheroes. So yeah, like maybe it didn't, his box office and his bank account didn't see that change, but it did. Like long term, those dividends like multiplied 10 times over because Black Panther was one of the most, you know, iconic, like beat Titanic at the at the box office. And we have to give Robert Townsend some credit for that. Like who knows? Like in another world, maybe Black Panther would have been made, but it would have been a lot different. Or Black Panther would have been the first flop like Meteor Man was. I think Meteor Man deserves a remake. I think for they sure. they could do like a funny but more serious Meteor Man and bring okay. back so I, I would Follow love up. to see that. Who would be the Meteor Man now? Since oh, you don't want to answer the last one. Oh, like as a character? As the character. Who as the character. Man? Who uh, would do great in this role? Oh, yeah. So I think um, the actor who plays Black Jesus would be amazing. Really? What's yeah, his name? I don't remember. Mm. He's a comedian, though. But I think mm. he would be... He would be great. I think you need sort of more of like a skinnier because he's really tall yeah. and like, you know, muscular. I think you'd need you like need a some, skinnier. Like a, a soft, dormant, weak guy to play the Jefferson or, Reed at the beginning. Well, more of like a, a nerdy dude. You know, Jefferson Reed remind me a lot of the main character from Soul. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Oh, yeah. Especially because he played the upright bass and he really yeah. loved jazz. You know, his, his dog's name was Ellington oh. after Duke Ellington. Like the opening scene was him getting into his brother's like jazz collection and asking him about which we will get to you you already started some size but we are going to for the first time ever james earl jones is a sigh but who else do you think i think i i think that they would probably cast donald glover as meteor man mm-hmm. i think donald glover would be great he's the perfect the like nerdy quirky but could also do it because he did great as lando calrissian yeah let's talk about james earl jones because yeah. james earl jones Icon, Mufasa, Coming to America, The Sandlot, Fences, the original Broadway production. We could go on and on about James, Darth Vader. Ben just whispered to me, Darth Vader. For real? I thought Darth Vader's voice, Darth Vader's voice was just like, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. James Earl Jones, why are you face palming? I think if everybody, I think if I had pulled somebody to the side and said like, what are James Earl Jones' like top three movies? They wouldn't say Darth Vader. Maybe I'm... We're going to go to a bar tonight, and we're going to do that tonight. Deal. We're going to walk... I'm going to walk to a bar tonight. Okay. Yep, I'm going to do that. Let's fucking go. Let's do it. We should post it on Patreon, too. Let's do it right now. Okay, I'm down to do that. Come on. There's a bar. Wait, we have to finish the podcast. James James Earl Jones' character was completely wasted. Uh, He played Ernest Moses... Robert Townsend's, I just, I love, Robert Townsend is just the perfect name, Meteor Man's neighbor, and his whole bit was that just he like switched out what wig he wore, like he's trying out new wigs, trying to be young and hip and cool, and and he has like a dope record collection, but that's not someone you get to play like James Earl Jones should be playing. James Earl Jones should be playing a major role, like he is not no motherfucking extra he's not a tertiary character he's not a supporting actor he is james earl jones so i just thought that it was so it was just a waste of such incredible talent like you could see james earl jones trying to make something out of nothing but it ultimately resulted in nothing i think if robert townsend looks back over his life like he should go to sleep at night being like damn 
I played James Earl Jones, and it was I, I fucked that one up. Well, James Earl Jones also knows how to throw a record with incredible aim, which he does at one point to save and help the meteor man. But other than that, he does nothing in the movie. I really think people would say, like, Mufasa and Coming to America. I'm going to, we're going to take Gucci to a friendly bar. It's, you really it's want a, to do it's this? It's a 20 minute walk. We'll go, we'll grab one beer. We'll ask the question. We'll walk back. That's How it. many people are we going to ask so we're we can gonna, report back? How many well, people are we going to ask? Well, you know, we have to say socially distancing, but I'm going to, yeah. This is, we'll ask the bartender, obviously, because they're serving us. We'll ask the owner. The owner's usually there. Okay, fine. Okay, you know what? Deal. And with that, let's warp up the show so I can beat your ass. In conclusion, go watch this amazing film of the 90s. It is a time capsule. You're going to have to get it from the library because you can't stream it anywhere or watch it through an alternative means like you once did in college. That's it. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. Next week for episode 28, we will be watching Black Lightning season two, y'all. There's four seasons all together, so we are going to be covering all four seasons because we love the show so much. And guess what? Robert Townsend's in that also. So be sure to check out season two of Black Lightning, and we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.